Welcome to this Sunday's message from the King's Church Mid-Sussex. Well, good morning. Um, I, I don't know about you, but uh, I have, um, I've watched more television in lockdown than I would normally do. I mean, let's, before you judge me, let's face it, there's, there's limited options for entertainment at the moment. Um, some of the programmes I like watching, I've just finished uh, watching Race Across the World on the BBC. Don't know if you've seen that. It's an amazing programme. Really enjoyed it. And the other programme, which is a family favourite in our household, is the Great British Bake Off. Final next week. Who's going to win? Maybe put your suggestion in the chat. I think it's too close to call at the moment. Um, but the other programme that I really like is on the BBC, and it's called, it's called The Repair Shop. Uh, and in case you've never kind of heard of it or watched it, let me just explain. It, it's a program uh, filmed on a, in a beautiful barn, uh, not far from here actually on the South Downs, where people bring their broken and tatty objects despite appearances that are kind of precious to them. Maybe like a family heirloom that's, that's been in the, in the family for generations or a particular object that reminds them of a certain time and place in their lives. But despite appearances, they've kind of started to look a little bit worn down. You know, to, to the viewer, often these objects that they bring into the barn and, and place on the table, to be honest, just look like they should be taken to Burgess Hill Tip, but not to the people that they're bringing the objects to. And the narrator at the beginning of the program, he kind of explains the, the premise of what's going to happen. He says, welcome to the repair shop, where precious but faded treasures are restored to their former glory. A dream team of expert craftsmen come together to work their magic. Preserving irreplaceable heirlooms, the team will restore the items, the memories, and unlock the stories that they hold. And then the camera cuts to a guy who's you know, working on some object, looks like little cogs from a clock. And he says, you really start to see the thought that went into making it. And then it cuts to another guy who's got all these various pieces all spread out. And he says, it's my responsibility to make sure all of these pieces go back in the right order. And then there's this lady who says, like, she explains why she loves doing this. She says, there is pleasure in bringing people's pieces back to life. And, and that's exactly what they do. And it's incredible watching the program as these skilled people with passion and dedication work on these items that other people would probably just discard. And then at the end of the program, the owners of the objects come back into the barn and they stand in front of the table where they used to have, where they put their broken object. And now it's covered with a cloth. And when the cloth is whipped away to reveal a beautifully restored object, their reaction is always the same. Shock, amazement, overwhelming gratitude, and, and more often than not, tears of joy as they look at this object that meant so much to them that has been beautifully restored. In fact, there's this one lady, and as she's staring at this object that means so much to her, she just keeps on saying through tears in her eyes, what a special thing you've done. What a special thing you've done. This morning, I want to talk to you about a great craftsman. 
who loves fixing broken things, is dedicated to restoration, who chooses to see the beauty despite the circumstances in people's lives. He derives pleasure in bringing people whose relationship with him is in pieces back to life again. I'm talking about God. You know, for many of you watching this, this is going to just be a reminder of something you've experienced already knowing God. But for other people watching today, I really believe there's people, and you're watching this, and you know that your relationship with God is broken. And what I want to do today is just explain to you by looking at the Bible that it can be fixed. You know, the, the Bible is, is literally littered with story after story of God, the expert craftsman, lovingly restoring people that have messed up. I want to talk to you about one particular individual this morning, but I could talk about loads of different ones. There's this guy named David. Um, you can read about him in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, two books in the Old Testament. And when we're first introduced to him, he's like this shepherd boy. Samuel has been tasked by God to go throughout the nation and search for the future king of Israel. And along the way, he's introduced to some impressive young men, strong, courageous, people that are oozing leadership. But God says to Samuel, I don't look at the outward appearance. I don't look in the, for the same sort of qualities that other people look at. I look, at, I look for the heart. I look to see what's going on on the inside. And with that, he points to David, who's the youngest kid in his family, out in the fields, and he says, this is the one. To which God means, this is the one that I'm going to make ruler over the nation one day. In fact, God goes one step further, and he describes David as a man after his own heart. You know, he's saying... We love the same things, David and I. His heart and my heart, we're just like in tune with one another. We detest the same things. You know, he's going to be someone who will represent my values, my judgment, my wisdom to people. He'll be my representative on earth. And so sometime later, David is anointed king over Israel. And from the very beginning, God is with him and, and grants success to him as a king, which is something that God is keen to point out to David early on as a king. He says to him, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you've gone, and I've cut off your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the greatest men on earth. What a promise. You know, and God is true to his word. What, what proceeds is account after account of David having victories over his enemies to the point where we're told that David becomes famous. And it says that he reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right before all the people. God has his man. You know, everything is going well. He's following and therefore loving God with all of his heart, representing God's kingdom on earth. And as such, he's enjoying an intimate relationship with God. And then one day, David is 
just walking around the roof of his palace. And he spots down below a, a, a beautiful woman bathing. And he calls one of his servants over and he says to him, can you just go and find out who, who is that woman? And off he goes. And when he comes back, he says, uh, the lady, she's called Bathsheba. She's the wife of one of the soldiers in your vast army, a guy called Uriah. Now, you would have thought with a man that is in tune with God's heart, he would have gone, well, in that case, I'll just back away because God's heart is for marriage. He loves marriage. But that's not what he does. He summons her. He sleeps with her. And she becomes pregnant. David, who was once known for following God and loving God, in this moment turns his back from God, decides to do his own thing, demonstrates a lack of love for God. But he doesn't stop there. He calls all his army officials together and he says to them, look, what I want you to do is I want you to get Uriah, this lady's husband, and I want you to put him on the front line of the next battle where the fighting is the fiercest. And then he says, and then I want you to take a step back. I want you to withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and that he dies. And that's exactly what happens. And now David has murder to add to the list of things that God's heart detests. And with every decision he makes, this once beautiful relationship that he enjoyed with God is becoming more broken and more damaged. What's sobering is how quickly it can all happen. You know, how easy it is, even for someone who is following God, who is so united with God, loves God so much, is, is, is in tune with God, to just trip up and see their life starting to unravel. And God sends a prophet to David, a guy named Nathan, and he comes and he tells David this story. It's a bit of an unusual story. And he says to David, there were these two men that lived in a certain town, one rich and one poor. The rich man, he had a vast amount of cattle and sheep, but the poor man, he only owned one lamb. And this lamb kind of grew up with him and his children. It ate his table. It drank from his own cup. He even slept with it in his arms. It was like a daughter to him, Nathan says. You know, it's kind of weird that you do that with a sheep. But the point is, this is the only thing he owned. It was precious to him. And then Nathan says, and then one day a, a traveler comes along to visit the, the rich man. But rather than taking one of his own vast sheep to, to slaughter and prepare as a meal for the visitor, Nathan says that the, the rich man takes the, the little lamb owned by the poor man and he kills it and he prepares it as a meal for his guest. And as this is, is told to David, we're told that David burns with anger, and quite rightly so. You know, what this guy has done is, is outrageous. He, he had everything, and yet he takes something that's not his, and he kills it. And David says to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who has done this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he's done such a thing and has had no pity. And then Nathan 
looks at David and he simply says, you are this man. I wonder how long Nathan just stood there in silence letting that sink into David. As David became aware how far he had fallen from knowing the love of God, how far he had fallen from knowing God, the decisions that he had made that had actually shattered his relationship with God into a million pieces. And then Nathan says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I appointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, your servants, your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You know, you get this overwhelming sense of the extent that God loves David. There's nothing he was unwilling to do or or give David. He would have given him everything. But you also get this sense of how the decisions David has made has broken God's heart. It's caused him pain. And David's got a decision to make. Uh, What's he going to do? Is he going to just brush it off and say, well, you know, I'm king of Israel. I want to be king of my own life as well. I'm just going to do whatever I please. Or is he going to fall on God and ask for forgiveness? David responds by saying, I have sinned against the Lord. You know, the first step towards restoration is when we admit that we're broken. When we take the mess of our lives and place them on the table before the great craftsman and we say like David did, I have sinned against the Lord, which is to say I've taken something that was so beautiful, this relationship that I was born to enjoy, and I've just trashed it. David was very aware throughout his life that he was broken and that he needed God to restore him. You get a sense of that in Psalm 51. Whether he wrote this after his affair and murder, we don't quite know, but but listen to what David says to God in this psalm. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfading love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful from birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be made whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. 
Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. You know, David doesn't come up with a whole load of excuses. He knows God is right to judge him. He knows God, he needs God's mercy. He wants to be made clean. He wants to be pure again. He appeals to God not to cast him away from his presence or to take his Holy Spirit away from him, but he appeals to God for restoration. You know what you discover next? is that God doesn't discard David. He doesn't look at the shattered pieces of his life and his relationship and the decisions he's made and say to him, you are unfixable. Now, after David admits that he's messed up, Nathan says to him, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. You know, in other words, the expert craftsman in his love and in his mercy has fixed you. He's taken your mess and he's made you clean. He's taken the broken pieces of your life and he's made it his mission to put them all back together again in the right order. Why such favor? Well, because God loves to find pleasure in bringing faded treasures back to their former glory. He's a God that loves to restore. Yeah, and, and after the rest of this, the, the restoration is actually better than David could have ever imagined. He goes on to be the greatest king that Israel has ever had. And then in the New Testament, in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, there's this list that the writer makes of all the great men and women of faith in their history. And David's name is included in the list. A list that the writer said is, is of people who the world is not worthy of them. He's not remembered because of his failures but because of God's restoration and forgiveness, he's remembered because of his faith. In fact, God goes one step further in, in David's restoration, if that wasn't enough already. And out of his descendants is born Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus' mission when he comes to earth is, is very clear. He came to do what he'd seen the Father do throughout generations. He came to fix what was broken. He came to restore humanity's relationship with God once and for all. You know, Jesus puts it like this. He says, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. 
You know, in other words, I've, I've not come for those who, who think their lives are perfect, who, who think they're okay and they don't need any help. I, I've come for those who are all too aware that they're sick and they're broken and they need healing and restoration. You know, one of the craftsmen on the repair shop program that I mentioned at the beginning, you know, he, he says this, he says, everyone has something that is worth too much to be thrown away. You know what that something is for God? It's you. It's me. It's, it's David. It's, it's Moses. It's the Apostle Peter. It's Mary Magdalene. It's, it's Paul. It's Tony. It's John. It's Jim. And it's Claire and Dan. It's Lisa. And the list goes on. The overarching message of the Bible, which is to be found in pretty much every story and every page, is that we are worth too much to God to be thrown away. And that goes for every single human being on this planet. He shows no favoritism, but in his love, he's made a way for everyone to be restored. And the start of that process is us bringing our lives before God and saying, I've sinned against you. I've broken. I'm broken. My relationship with you is broken. Please come and fix it. Please come and fix me. You know, in a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to pray with me. If you know that there's something in your life that's broken, a good relationship with God, then I'm going to pray with you. If you know that God needs to restore you. You know, the beautiful thing about being part of like a global church is that you get to look around and see different faces, people from different backgrounds, people living in, in different nations, and you get to see the extent of God's passion for restoration. You get to hear and, and witness the vast array of stories that have been unlocked by a God who loves to restore people, loves to bring people back to life. And the only appropriate response when you witness the extent of God's love for humanity in restoring people is worship is to declare to God what a special thing you've done. What a special thing you've done. You know, David, after experiencing God's loving restoration, pens another psalm, Psalm 103, and I'm going to finish by reading a section of that. He says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love for those who fear him. As far as the east is 
from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Why don't we pray together as we finish? Let me just invite you to close your eyes wherever you are, unless you're driving. Father God, I want to thank you that you love to fix what is broken. Thank you, Father God, for your love and your dedication to us. Now, I just want to lead you in a prayer. If you know, and and you'll know, (laughs) you'll know. If you know that your relationship with God is broken because of decisions you've made, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. I believe God will restore you. So let me just pray. Pray this in your heart. Father God, I have sinned against you. I have messed up. Please come and fix me. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit again. Please restore the joy of my salvation. Amen. You know, if you prayed that, you can hear the words that God spoke to David through Nathan when he said, you are not going to die. God has washed away your sins. In fact, better than that, he's going to give you eternal life. Thanks for listening to this message from the King's Church, Mid-Sussex. To connect with us online, visit tkc.org.uk. We hope you'll join us again soon.